Andrew has given me this title. It says, Don't Grumble. <laughs> uh, it's an interesting one, isn't it? And we'll come to that uh, in a few minutes. But our passage starts with the word, therefore. And so, therefore, we have to look at what was there before to see the context of what the passage is saying. So that's why we read from verse 5, because verse 12 starts off with therefore. So in these previous verses, uh, Paul has been talking about the obedience of Jesus. And Paul is either quoting a hymn that they used to sing, uh, or he's actually made up this hymn. It's in a poetic form. It's a hymn of praise. And he's praising Jesus really for two things, for his humility and for his obedience. He's saying there, who being in the very nature God, that's referring to Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He, by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. So Paul is saying that Christ's obedience resulted in him coming to earth in weakness, living in humility, and even dying on the cross. Christ obeyed his Father and humbled himself. And he is to be our example of obedience. Paul is saying to the believers in Philippi, how can we who belong to an obedient saviour not be obedient ourselves? And he's going to tell us some of the ways in which we should obey. He starts with a phrase that surprises us to some extent and seems at first as when we hear it as if it contradicts some of his other teaching in other parts of his letters. He says, continue to work out your salvation. Work out your salvation. Paul is not saying, better say this right away, that our salvation in any way is incomplete. In fact, the opposite, the words that are used there actually means bringing it to completion, not stop halfway. As we know from teaching elsewhere in Scripture, that salvation comes as a gift to each one of us. It's not something we work for, it's, but it's something that we need to work out how we apply to our daily lives, how we use these gifts these gifts of salvation on a daily basis. He's telling the Philippians they must work out the implications of the gift of salvation day by day. Salvation is a process of discovery, which is sometimes joyful and sometimes painful. And I'm sure you've heard this before, but it needs to be repeated. When Paul uses the word salvation, in his writings, he uses different tenses to indicate that it has a, a past, present and future aspect to it. In the past, he says, I have been saved. 
I have been set right with God and my sins will never be held against me. He rejoices in that work that Christ has done. It's something that's happened once for all in the past. But he also says, I am being saved. And it's that process that Paul is talking here about working out. And this process the Bible actually calls sanctification. A process that transforms us to be more like our Saviour, Jesus Christ. In other places, Paul goes on to say, I will be saved. There is a future. My salvation will be completed when Christ restores all his redeemed kingdom together, made up of all the men and women who have been saved. And as we know, this will happen when Christ returns. But today, Paul is talking about this present tense And so we're going to look at the present tense aspects of salvation to our daily living. How we conduct ourselves, what we say, how we relate to others, how we relate to God. So we're not to stand still in our Christian life, but grow by exercising faith. He is saying that we are to obey Christ in the same way that Christ obeyed his father and so working out our salvation for the Christian should be our number one priority it demands our full attention and Paul's encouraging these Philippians to take their behavior seriously while looking forward to that great day when their salvation will be complete Peter, in one of his letters, has the same sort of thought process. He says there, Be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So what are these things? And if we look back earlier in the passage, he lists them out. He says, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, kindness, love. These are the things that should be in our life as we work out our salvation. They're very practical things, aren't they? Things that require actions. And so just for the next couple of minutes, we're actually going to look at the actions Going back to primary school, we talked about the doing words. Do they still do that, Maureen, do they, for verbs? (laughs) It tells us there in this passage what Paul says we should be doing. And the first thing he says is is a verb to do. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. We all like to grumble, don't we? People like to grumble. People in Ireland grumble here, don't they? We grumble about the weather. Some days. (laughs) Today is not a day when we're grumbling about the weather. We grumble about the roads. We grumble about the ferries. Look at the letters in the (laughs) Eloch. And you'll find lots of grumbling, don't you? Everyone grumbles about our politicians, of course. And especially after an election. But Paul is telling us not to grumble. Not to be like 
the people that Andrew's been speaking about in the morning here in the, in the desert in the, in the, after they have been released from slavery in Egypt. There's lots of references back to that here. They were set free by a powerful and a caring God, but they grumbled when they were in the desert. Unlike them, we should always be grateful for the things that God has given for us, given to us and done for us. We should be people who are not grumblers. The word that's actually used there in the tense that's used in the original indicates continuing grumbling. There are people who are just grumblers. Always contentious. Always causing division and dispute. And as I'm sure we go through this letter of Philippians, later on we'll find that there is grumblers in the church. People who are causing division. And Paul is saying it's not right to grumble. Just it's not right for the people in the desert to grumble. We are people who have been blessed by God. And we should be grateful people. We should be trusting people. People trusting in a God who has set them free. That's what salvation means to us. And is walking with them day by day. And leading them onto that complete salvation. To an eternity with him. Why should we be grumbling? Why should we be divisive? With such a prospect, there should be no place for grumbling. So do everything without grumbling so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. In other words, he's saying there, it's a word that we've been thinking about other times, we are to become holy. Holy is a word that's often misunderstood and Andrew spoke about that two weeks ago in the, our evening service telling us that the meaning of holiness means it's separated. We are set aside. We are different. Someone described it as when you're filling in a forum you sometimes see a bit at the bottom that says for official use only. That bit there on the forum has been set aside for a specific purpose. We are holy. We have been set aside for God's purposes, for God's use. When we were, became Christians, we were made holy for God's use. That's our status. And we now have to act and behave in a manner that's consistent with our status. We have to become what we already are. Well, we don't act as holy people often. We don't act in a holy manner. But that is what we are as children of God. We'll be granted that status by God because of what Jesus has done for us. He saved us and he's made us holy. He separated us. Another way of thinking of holiness is that we become more like Jesus in our attitudes and our actions. And our behaviour. John, when he was writing in one of his letters, he says, Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. Of course, that will never be realised as we live here. But we have that promise from God that one day, 
when we go to be with the Lord in heaven, when our salvation is complete, our status will be fully realized. Paul reminds these believers in Philippi that our conduct and our behavior is important as it will have implications on the witness throughout their city. Specifically in this situation, the internal disunity in the church will affect their external proclamation of the gospel. How can I achieve a holy life? Is it up to me? Or is it something that God does? It is both. <laughs> we are expected to play our part with our aims and our attitudes, our behaviours. And God promises to play his part. He's already called us. He's promised to keep us. He's promised to complete the work, his work. And there is that ongoing balance throughout our life of God's saving work in our life that he has done and the help of his Holy Spirit. But we also have our own responsibilities to live as he has told us. Different people have tried to achieve holiness in different ways. Some have tried what we call legalism, keeping a list of rules, saying if I obey these rules here, then I will be holy. Yes, we've got to keep God's rules and they're important. They show that we're different and they show that uh, God's rules are there to lead us through life. But the keeping of rules in themselves won't make us holy. Other people have tried to separate out things, separate private behaviour from public profession. It ends up in hypocrisy. But it makes it easier. They say, oh, well, this part of my life is the holy part. And this part here, I can do what I like. And that doesn't work either. Some have tried what's called asceticism, depriving your, your body and subduing your desires, taken to extremes, going into, let's say, in solitary confinement, live in a monastery somewhere um, with no contact with anyone else, and say, if I do that and separate myself from everything, I'll be holy. None of these things in themselves make us holy. Holiness needs to be worked out. It's a, a reflex action to the goodness and graciousness of God that we experience in our lives. We'll never be fully holy, but God calls us to be progressively holy. And he works on us by his Holy Spirit to make us more holy as we continue in our daily lives under his care and under his direction. He said, then you will shine, another verb, shine among them like the stars in the sky. The Philippians were arguing amongst themselves and complaining about their leaders, just like the Israelites were doing in the desert. Paul was then again telling them to strive for unity. Learn these lessons from the Old Testament. Israel was meant to be the, the means by which God would bring salvation to the whole world. But at times they were grumbling against God. They disobeyed them and they lost much of that mission. 
The behaviour did not honour God. But in fact, they brought his name into disrepute. So Paul is telling the Philippians and us that we should learn from the mistakes of the past and begin to show the love of God and bring his light into the dark world around us. How are we to do this? How is this to be done in a society which is unholy? Paul doesn't paint a good picture of the world without God. He calls it a dark place that needs light. He's saying it's spiritually and morally opposed to God and his ways. It desperately needs the light of God to shine in it. And he's saying that that's our work. As we live without grumbling, as we become holy, we are then to shine like stars in the sky. In other places we are told that our shining is to be a reflection of God's glory. It's God that we are proclaiming to the world. We are to show by our words and our actions that there is a better way based on God's word. And Paul leads us nicely on to that. He says, you shine like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life or hold forth or, or present the word of life. We are to be witnesses as we shine in this lost world. We need to bring the word of God, the word of life, the good news of the gospel to a world that desperately needs it. That word that's used as, as, as light here is the same word that's used in the creation story. God, God brought light into a dark universe. We are to bring God's light into our world. We are to bring God's light, God's word, God's promises, God's saving action in Christ into people's lives so that they will be a new creation. In the dark, we should be like the lighthouses as a navigational aid, shining out, pointing to the way of salvation. In the day, we should be like a map set out for people to find the way to God. Paul's encouraging them and, and telling him that although he's in prison and they don't know what the outcome's going to be, even if his sentence ends in execution, God's work of, of doing, becoming, shining, and holding forth will still have been done. Paul will have completed his task. He calls it his race. And he will now go to his complete salvation with the Lord. The Philippians will have to be made holy by the power of God. And also be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. So whatever happens, Paul says, is a case a cause of rejoicing. Not a superficial smiling and laughing, but a settled peace that comes from living a holy life in obedience to our Lord and Saviour, shining in our society 
and holding out the word of life to them. So this morning, may God give us grace to do, to work together as God's people without division or grumbling, to become more like him as we progress in our Christian lives, to shine in the dark world that needs God's light reflected by us and to bring hope and to hold out the word of life in a world that does not understand the truth of God. May he give us grace to do that. Let's pray for a moment.